Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick O'Hattari-Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is always in favor of more lace. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass. And the reason that I love lace so much is that in my adoption of lace, it will require everyone around me to also wear more ra- lace. Right. And, we'll and once they wear more like lace, them. it will just bankrupt them. They can't afford lace. You know, it's... what. The most okay, like not to get way out of key with the rest of the movie and like what we do here on this podcast, but what the most fascinating <laughs> thing is that like the thing the movie kind of deals with but doesn't is that th- there's a direct through line to what he's doing here to gain power to what eventually yeah. gets his great his grandson's head cut off is really oh yeah, yeah. is really lovely, um, and I think that's probably the best part of the entire thing that we experienced. Uh, but the other intro option, I do want to reveal the other intro option that I couldn't, I couldn't decide, was okay. a man who keeps his suckling pigs under lock and key. <laughs> Which is, I, I will directly say, is the weirdest fucking part of this movie. Like, yeah. I, the movie is mostly whatever, but at one point, a man gets out a key and unlocks a cooked suckling pig, which was yeah. literally padlocked inside of a, a trencher. I was like, yeah, okay, to make sure, sure, to make sure no one had touched it on its. Yeah, way I mean, I up. guess, but they don't. But it's because it is just part of the sort of like milieu yeah. of the court. It's not. It it takes up screen time. It's the primary focus of the screen, right? Right. But is right. not discussed in any meaningful way. We don't even see it get locked up. It leaves the kitchen unlocked, and is unlocked in the dining room. And it's really all very fascinating to me because whenever I encounter things like that, like there's 75 people working in that kitchen. Yeah. Like, my man, that lock and key ain't doing shit. It's so great. Like, it's so great. What do you it. think? Like, oh, it wasn't poisoned on the steps. It's all, Congratulations. It's all, it's all, it's all pomp. It's just yeah. beautiful. It's, it, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, but it, yeah, the lock and key. Suckling Pig was just like, what a moment. I was like, okay. Before we get to the movie, and your introduction has already got me because they're so Rossellini does such wonderful work showing the excesses. Yeah, no, of, yeah, I mean the monarchy. Absolutely, that, like that's, that's the best really part great. of the movie is the just absolute yeah. fuck nuts uh, ridiculousness. So, so I'm very, I'm I'm very keen to get into it. But before we get into it, I do want to talk about our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going. And get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-criterion film over there. Supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. Uh, one choice is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie in which Shaquille O'Neal plays a genie uh, who balls the villain up into a basketball. Slim dunks him to his death. To his death. To his off-screen death. But I mean, it's, it's implied. I mean, we all know what yeah. happens. He died. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the building burned down after he True. Got slammed on. I mean, and also, so, isn't it at the bottom of a of a elevator shaft or something like that? Well, the the kid gets thrown down in the elevator oh, right, shaft. Right. I'm not sure if the basketball. I've wa- oh, I guess we need to watch it again because I've forgotten. 
Yeah, so uh, so support us and vote for Kazam so that we can watch it for a third time. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, I, I forgot what us. happens, frankly. Yeah. Like at least refresh us on the on the plot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it's fun. Uh, we've watched a lot of interesting movies. It's always a non Criterion film, or at least a film that is non Criterion uh, at the time. Uh, I should specify non spined Criterion because Lost in Criterion is going through the Criterion collections spine numbered releases. Right. So stuff in the Eclipse collection for instance, is open game and occasionally shows up on the uh, on the Patreon bonuses. Uh, but also it's just completely non-Criterion stuff, stuff that the Criterion Collection will never release until it releases the box set of all known films. Right. I mean, like, you uh, never know, though. Ernest Goes to Camp. I, 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 there is a small but still existing chance that there will be someday an Ernest box set I hope collection. that there's an earnest box set, and I hope that I get to write the essay. <laughs> would be amazing. Um, I don't think it'll be us, uh, if nothing else, because there are definitely some serious earnest lovers out there who are. Very, oh yeah, yeah. There's probably very into there's it. People, I'm sure there's people with doctorates in earnest at this point. Uh, God, I should go to that yeah. school. You should. You should. <laughs> uh, my dissertation on earnest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, it's a probably a pretty small program, but, you know, it, yeah. it, it puts out degrees every year. People are... I'm sure. But that's all all for a dollar. You get access to this bonus episode. So there's a... Uh, we've been doing it for a while now. There's only... Uh, there's over 45 Yeah, we're approaching episodes, a year's sure. worth of... Uh, where you could listen to one a week. We're getting there very soon. And it's good stuff. It's good stuff. There's probably... I mean, represented in those 45 episodes, there's... At least seventy-five hours of material, because uh, we've had some pretty long. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few long ones over there too. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's always fun. Uh, we cover a lot of interesting stuff over there. You know, which, like I said, we've we've watched some stuff in the, the Eclipse Collection, like Louis Malle's uh, God's Country, which is a phenomenal documentary. Uh, some stuff that's you know really out there, like Kicking and Screaming, the one starring Will Ferrell. Um, it's just bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> just terrible. Uh, Critters 2, uh, <laughs> Welcome to Collinwood was our most recent one as it's, of this recording. Uh, it's also very bad. It's it, also I mean, it could be not worse. a good movie. It could be worse. And it's that's the Russo, bad, but... Yeah, the Russo Brothers remake of the Criterion Collection film, uh, Big Deal on Madonna Street, the Italian film, heist parody, and it's, yeah, it it's not great. Uh, but yeah, like I said... Uh, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to want to support us at that level, that's just $1. And it, it's really helpful. We're very appreciative of the $1 supporters. For a little extra, for people who, who you know want to keep us going a little a little more overtly, uh, we like to thank those people on air at the $5 mark. And thank you so much to our friend Stephen Goldmeyer, who is our current $5 supporter. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, and has been on some episodes of the main podcast and a lot of good episodes on the bonus podcast, too. Uh like the uh, episode he did for uh, uh, Now You See Me. I mean, that's his shiny. That's his, you know, that's his yeah. shining example, right? Because that is right. That is a hundred percent him. His, it's yeah, it's his favorite movie, and it was a really fun conversation. Uh, but uh, he's our only five dollars supporter because what we offer at the ten dollar mark is, uh, I think, really special. Ten dollars and above, we uh, thank those people on air, and we will in just a moment. But we. Make a piece of art. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. 
I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note. Uh, you know, one more reminiscence on the movie or uh, a little talk about what's going on in my life. As I said, we do like to thank those people on the air as well. So thank you so much to our $10 and above supporters, Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Jason Westhaber, Michael McGrath, and Chris Otto. Yes, thank you so Very much. Very grateful for you guys. Uh, you know, I know... Uh, you know, there's been a lot of positive feedback about the uh, postcards, and obviously, you know, it's enticing enough that we have, you know, more $10 supporters than $5 supporters, so that's very nice. Um, but if you do want to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion. <laughs> every and, time you say uh, that, I do it, like, anyway, even though I've done it every yeah. time you say it, because I don't know. It's kind of fun for me. Because <laughs> I'm telling you to do yeah, it? Yeah, I, I really uh, buy into the, yeah, well, Adam told me to, so here we go. It's true. It's true. Be like Pat. Go right now. Um, but, yeah, you can see all of the past postcards, and you can buy the past postcards as well. There is a three-month delay on those so that our supporters have uh, have first access. You know, they get to see them and enjoy them before, uh, before they go out to the public. But, yeah, it's uh, fun. So patreon.com slash lost in criteria yeah. if you want to get in on that and again we'll send you a postcard grateful. it's fun yeah it's fun that's, i like that's doing our it. tagline just it's fun it's got an exclamation point it's written in a curve like that's all <laughs> yeah, folks yeah, yeah, just, yeah. it's yeah, it's, fun. it's the and the more you know there's a star yeah uh, yeah it's very good so this week as uh as pat's already alluded to uh you know <laughs> it's it's a movie we gotta talk about. Uh it's what it's what we gotta do. It's it's it is, I mean one because one because it is what we do, but also because there's some really interesting things to talk about in this movie. Uh we are watching uh Roberto Rossellini's nineteen sixty six French television production, uh The Taking of Power by Louis the Fourteenth. Is that right? It is the fourteenth, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> the rise of Louis the Fourteenth is also known of as in English. Uh, Le Prise de Pouvoir par Louis the Fourteenth. Uh, I'll say Fourteenth in a weird French accent too. Oh. For some reason. I don't know what's going on with me there. Um, essentially, the seizure of power uh, is uh, so. The taking of power is a pretty literal translation. Um, but yeah, uh, Rossellini starting in '62. Uh, Rossellini had a press conference in 1962 where he announced that film was dead. Okay. Uh, I mean, this of course yeah. years this is years after, you know, he was a a uh uh fomenting uh presence in the Italian neorealism movement. Uh in 62 he announces that cinema is dead. And from there uh for the last 15 years of his life till till he died, I believe in 77. Uh he focused on film as educational, okay. still using the trappings of neorealism and actually getting more documentary as he goes along too. Um, but he uh, he made a series of films on historical figures. Uh, so we have this one. It's Louis XIV, uh, but his St. Francis of Assisi movie is in that list. Uh, the Jesus one was the last one he completed um he was working on one on Karl Marx when he died okay. apparently uh but uh biopics of historical figures uh that are you know pretty pretty straightforward uh as far as uh as far as uh 
you know, they're not they're not embellishing. Right. So yeah. I mean, well, like, I mean, like we saw more than we like, saw the flowers of St. Francis. Right. Right. You I know, mean, they're not uh, embellishing in the sense that like there's not like a purposeful desire to like yeah sort of like I don't know what I'm trying to say like. Obviously, they are essentially docudramas, so, like, they are still right, enta- right. contain a certain modicum of bullshit because, like, <laughs> right. we don't now the, know. The Flowers but... of St. Francis is from 1960, so it does sort of predate uh, his his announcement here. Uh, but, right. But this one is also sort of open. Yeah, I now, mean, there's, like, a there's lot no, of Rossellini. I mean, it's, it's probably, I, you know, I don't know enough about French history, but, like, to, to definitively, but like you know, whenever you do this kind of stuff, right? Like, I mean, you're you're choosing what they say at moments and stuff like that, and what they do that like are nominally based in history, but like aren't, you know? Right, right, right. You know, yeah. There's uh, there's two other Rosalini box sets we'll eventually go okay. through. One are his war films, uh, which is uh, uh, Rome, Open City, Germany, Year Zero, and Europa Fifty One. I'm pretty sure. Europa 51, I could be, I, I, I might be misattributing that. Because the other one is uh, box sets of him directing Ingrid Bergman. Okay. Um, and Europa 51 is part of that set, sorry. Uh, but uh, Ingrid Bergman, it's an interesting moment. And we'll, and we'll certainly talk to it when we, we get to it, but it's a few years off still. Um, the Bergman stuff is uh, is Rossellini. You know, he started with... Neorealism, essentially because post-war, he didn't have access to the studios because right. the studios were non-existent. Uh, so you're kind of forced to make realistic yeah, yeah. on the ground Yeah, Neorealism is essentially films. the default yeah. format, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Because uh, you got to film on location anyway. Uh, so um, so eventually, you know, he, he's making that stuff, you know, that that we're familiar with as neorealism, even if we haven't seen any of his particularly yet. Um, but the, the sort of stuff like Umberto D or, or, right. uh, um, what's it? The mail room, uh, Il Posto. Yeah. Il Posto. Yeah. Um, uh, where they're realistic looks with non-actors at, uh, at everyday life with the Bergman stuff. One Bergman's already an established American actress. Uh, and elsewhere in Europe too, right? right? Uh, but uh, but she'd been in America for a while, and actually, there's a little uh, it's a little quip after after Bergman's announce or not. I'm sorry, after Rossellini's announcement that cinema is dead, uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock made <laughs> made his response that that Rossellini's dead, uh, <laughs> and the uh, the Criterion essay uh, puts uh, puts. Hitchcock's cheekiness there, not just on the fact that Rossellini is particularly insulting the sort of movie that Hitchcock makes, right? But also that he's still uh, he's still mad that <laughs> Rossellini stole Bergman from him, right? Uh, is what the essay suggests. Um, anyway, the Bergman films we will eventually watch, and you know, while they star an American actress, they are still very much the neo-realist style, but applied to relationships, to 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 love. Um, which is definitely, you know, different to, you know, the sort of on the ground realism that, uh, right. that neorealism started with. And then we get to this, which is just, it's also neorealist. Like this film stars non-actors, 
the entire cast is non-actors, but particularly the guy playing Louis the Fourteenth is definitely a hundred percent non-actor. Yeah, <laughs> it's one hundred percent a non-actor. Uh, he was uh, Pate is his name, and he was a uh, a desk clerk. Uh, according to the film essay, I've also seen him described as a mailman. Okay, uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not real sure what his actual day job. Well, was. I mean, eventually he will. Yeah, eventually he'll become a playwright. Uh, he he got into other ends of the acting, right? Uh, uh, yeah, well, because like, not to, this, not to but... give away the give away the farm here, but uh, he uh, he's not acting is not his not forte. Um, he yeah. is he is not an actor. Uh, yeah, to put it's, it very very politely, um, it's actually used to an one. There's there's kind of a joke about it in the movie. Because when we first meet him, he is stumbling over a prayer that he can't remember, but he's in character doing that, right? Right. Uh, but apparently in production, he had to read all of his lines from a big board just off right. camera, uh, which means he was never making eye contact with anyone, which actually is a really interesting choice because yeah. it it portrays a king who's sort of disconnected it, and above everyone works, around him. I'll call it like a 60% success. Uh, it yeah. is it is sometimes fine. Uh, it does occasionally make him very aloof, which is good. Right, right. And sometimes it's very clearly like you can almost see his lips moving when he's reading. And it's <laughs> right, like, right. oh boy, this is a person reading a card um, mm. who maybe also needs it's, glasses. It's often pretty clear that he is uh he is reading it yeah um but yeah his his emphasis is not great he's he can't even like read with feeling very well yeah um he's a a short pudgy man um which you know ultimately in in older age uh louis the 14th certainly was right uh but but you know this is 20-year-old athletic right. Louis the 14th who was yeah a, like 20-year-old athletic playboy Louis the 14th not yeah. um who's yeah who spent his time uh doing ballet actually right you know, in yeah. the court uh historically which is not something we explore here there's no dancing in this movie which is a little given everything else that's going on you'd think there'd be more dancing right but uh, <laughs> but, uh yeah so you know maybe it's a little a little disconnected and it's also everyone else here is you know whether or not this portrayal of louis is historically accurate everyone else here is the foot taller uh mid 20th century french right uh you know everybody everybody else looks like someone in costume right, uh, right. definitely yeah whereas this guy is maybe proper height for average height of someone living at Louis's time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, it does make a weird effect <laughs> where like, boy, he is the tiniest man in the room at all times. <laughs> he is. Um, really always. Yeah. It, it, well, uh, you know, the thing about it, like, like, we can just get into it, but like my, oh, yeah. my issue here is that I have a couple, I have a couple, like, in general, I liked a lot about this movie, but, I have a couple sort of things that bother me. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it as as kind of quote unquote neo real like you know neo realism and stuff. 
We get into this weird spot. It's like a docudrama can't, by its nature, be neorealistic entirely. So it's right. it's adopting certain trappings, like picking non-actors and stuff. But like in the end, you can't you can't do it because it's not now. Right? Like you can't like it's actually impossible. And so in many ways, choosing to use some of the elements of neorealism in your docudrama produces a sort of like dramatic disconnect within the movie itself right. of like like let's be really like if we're really blunt about it the reality of the matter is if i want to portray the past my best bet is actually probably real actors because they they can at least make an effort to inhabit the mindset of a person of the time that they're portraying which actually well, probably gets you closer to the realism that you want than somebody who has no grounding to operate that way. I think the exact opposite is true. Think so? Uh, Reasoning-wise, I think you should go with real actors not because it's more realistic, but because uh, actual realism in his- historic uh, reenactment is beyond the pale. Really. Well, right. That it is that's not also what your true. audience wants right. or accepts. That right? that is also so is. true. I agree in with you in that statement, right? Yeah. Because like that's not necessarily what your audience wants or expects, but also like what you end up here with is like so like if you take like uh, you know like Cleo five to seven or something like that, you you get into this like this is supposed to be a person of this time, and this person is of this time, so they're acting inherently matches up right. with what with reality right like you're basically saying go about right, your daily right, life right essentially be you and i'm going to film you being you uh i might right. tweak it a little bit which already breaks the whole thing but whatever like let's not get yeah. into like the actual philosophical underpinnings of what is clearly artifice being masqueraded as non-artifice well, uh, no that's a that's another interesting aspect of the movie though because we get repeatedly a line about all of this being artifice, right? Right. Well, see, about, that's, that is about reality is perception, right? Which, in that sense, again, we really probably would have been better off with an actor, because because right. the artifice that I guess in one sense you okay, there's a lot of layers, right? You're, you could argue that by by having a completely terrible actor, you make the artifice all the more you 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 um, accentuate the artifice of it all because all this pomp and circumstances around what appears to be a, a living animated like sock puppet. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, again, the guy seems, I'm sure he's a lovely person, uh, but he cannot act worth a damn. And so right. most of the time it is like, it is very, just this hyper wooden stiff, like right. Drony. Oh, yeah. It's bad. And so, in that sense, yeah, maybe like you're heightening the that that di- that dissidence, and it's like all this problem and circumstances surrounding what is essentially a like a board with a face painted on it. Um, right. But I don't well, think it actually works that way. Honestly, I really think that like I actually do think that adds another interesting layer to the film, though, in that as commentary on this history, not just as a biopic as a historical uh thing but as historicity looking at the way we view history right uh 
this portrayal of who is historically one of the more charismatic kings in history. And then stripping the character himself of all that charisma. Well, to to right. show that the charisma was really just blind power. Right. Well, that and I I would agree with you. And the thing I thought about a lot when I was watching it was like I you know, I read I went and briefly skimmed over the Louis the 14th Wikipedia article. It's like mm-hmm. and then you know, his son being like labeled like uh I forget his son even has an even more ridiculous uh like um I don't know what they call it like the thing that they call the king like where they're like the benevolent, the blah blah blah. The, yeah, the, yeah, the, the that the extra title there. Yeah, yeah. that they always tell us like is well known at, and like Louis the Fourteenth is like well known as like, you know, he's like the fifteenth. I, I forget. I think now. the fifteenth was known as like the beloved. Yeah, fifteenth like was like the beloved, and like Louis the Fourteenth was like the the Sun King or whatever. And yeah, like, the Sun King is the one we're talking like, about. Like the here, thing about so. it is, well, and I brought up the beloved because the, that one makes me laugh even harder. Um, because like maybe but yeah. like these are like these are essentially like nicknames you give yourself, right? Like in all for all intents and purposes, right? If you're the king, this is a nickname you've given yourself, right? It's like me walking into college the first day and be like, you know, name's Pat. They call me the Annihilator or something like <laughs> it's like, like he's making this shit up, man. Um I won't believe a word you fucking tell me because history you your ability to manipulate it over the course of time is so extensive that like even if that's what every like primary source calls you i don't know to what extent they've been manipulated by you at the present uh when you know mm-hmm. in 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 uh you know you know uh, now I, I forgot the fucking word but like contemporary to the writing like their ability to manipulate right, your ability right. to manipulate them um so like it is neat. It is neat to be like, oh, this guy who's supposedly very charismatic and he is supposed to be very, like, basically stripped the tore power from from everybody and just pulled it all into himself. The dawn of the rebirth of absolutism and in, in, in right, French rule. Right. Like, and then to have him just be this guy. Um, it's, it's I think neat. it's delightful. It's neat, but here's my problem. <laughs> like, I agree. Yeah. It is neat from, like, the, this like thousand foot perspective that we get to like look at it. I agree. But the problem is, is that like when you make a sort of a historical docudrama, it depends on who your audience is and, and, and who and what you're trying to teach them. And yeah. I can believe wrestling is trying to teach that, but like that's not going to be conveyed to 90% of the audience. Well, well, I think the movie itself starts by positioning that as a thesis with the one scene outside of the Royal court. Yeah, but it doesn't go the, hard enough. It yeah. really doesn't go I, hard enough. It does. It, it certainly alludes to the future that we know, right? right? Because those, those characters talk about how the King of England was just beheaded. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, right. But so that's you've already supporting the that, opulence that is, thesis, which I, yeah. I agree with. The movie does a good job of the, the, the like ridiculous opulence, the thesis of like, right. and, and showing that sort of kind of sort of showing the through line to Louis the 16th. But again, doesn't, I don't think go hard enough on that. But like, I think that's fair. They support that thesis like roughly at the beginning. But the thesis about like the disconnect between the man and the, the sort of image that that man projects over history 
Hey, don't go hard enough on that at all. That that that's even loose in the in the reading of that opening scene. The re, the re, mm-hmm. the opening scene is best understood as like mild, like pro petty bourgeoisie, like new, modern liberal government, like right, right stuff. Right, right. It's it's not even a good version of that. Like it's a okay version of like, oh yeah, this asshole's opulence is going to get his head, his grandson's head cut off in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, right, right, right. all right, yeah, but like, we already like, okay, sure, yeah, you know, that scene also establishes some other things about the world we're set in, right? As it's these are middle class people, really, um, and like their comment, oh, another, another, uh, another doctor going in to see the cardinal, uh, and we can't even get a barber to bleed us when we're sick, right? Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. One of the guys pushes back. Mild one of the guys pushes back, and the scene essentially ends with the other guy saying, "Well, it's true." <laughs> right, right, yeah. And, and there's really nothing great. wrong with that scene. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, the scene does make the argument, like it does, be like, "Well, he is paying all of our bills, basically, and all that right, stuff." Right, right, Which right. again is that that like modern, like concurrent to the movie's production, <laughs> modern liberal French government, like, ah, oh, look right. at what we've built here. This, this, this. Lovely, you know, modern capitalist, like liberal government state, that, like, you know, right. it fine. And it does set up the world. It does give you a mild thesis statement for what the movie's about, but it certainly right. doesn't really address the the disconnect between the man and and the the projection of opulence. And right, and so that that pro- my problem with is is with the movie not really establishing that as a thesis statement anywhere. That re that extra thesis statement that you and I have, and I'm sure other viewers do too, because maybe that's what Bruce William was going for. He doesn't really establish it. Well, I think it's just a I think the, subtle text the, reading of the movie. The ending scene is not that subtle in its no, <laughs> um, where yeah. where he removes all of the artifice and then reads that line about how. Uh, no one can look directly at the sun or death after he has established himself as the sun king. Right. No one can look directly at the sun uh, or death. And and in that, it establishes a disconnect between reality and perception that he is inhabiting at that point in a way that almost feels like uh, Louis has spent the entire movie trying to make everyone be his friend and then realize that he still can't have any friends right? in a weird way. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, he... To be a very blasé reading of that. But but at the same time, it is pushing back. You know, it is finally Louis himself recognizing that disconnect between uh, uh, pomp and real feeling, right? Right, I mean, and uh, it, it addresses the idea of, like, what... Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a direct address of, like, that idea of, like, the reason we, like, it's a, you know, it's that idea of, like, how did he, why does he have this power? He has this power because he has this power. You know what I mean? Like, it's a sort of this, right, like, right, right. cyclical thing about, um, you know, like, I don't, there's nothing special about me in any real way other than the fact that, like, I command the power to make people treat me like I'm special. Right. Uh, and we start we start early in establishing that everyone in these powers are are corrupt jerks, right? Right. Even the cardinal, who we we are meant to be, uh, I think, sympathetic to in the way he's initially presented as a dying man, uh, is still, uh, you know, when that when that other 
uh, church leader shows up to give him his last rites. It's like, well, do you have anything to confess? Oh, no, no, I've never sinned. Um, but, right, but it's right. also like, but uh, it's also, well, then we've got to talk about what you're going to do with all your money. Uh, what, what do you well, mean? I, it's, all, and, and, it's all made fairly. Uh, the profits from his abbeys, uh, the fact that he owns an entire port, is invested in another port, uh, and, well, right. and yeah, has been absolutely. selling titles. Right. Uh, and, but also we're we're definitely like the implication, the hard implication is definitely there about like, you're going to donate this to the church, right? Like this, right. It, it goes both ways. And like the movie but, is good about then that. He's got, but then he donates it to the crown. Right. Well, <laughs> and that, and so. like, yeah, it, the, the movie is good about a lot of stuff like that. I will right. say this six, you know, say what you will. In the end, the movie is comes off as being very pro Louis the Fourteenth, which is just a hard line to sell to me as a person. Right, right. like one way or the oh, other, I get that. he's the good guy in this movie. He's all this pomp and circumstances, very much understood in the context of the movie as like a like his brilliant right. masterstroke of like bringing the society closer to something approaching modernity or something. Right. Um, and he is. He is presented in the film as essentially giving the peasants a good life, at right. least a better life, uh, while throwing all the bread and circus stuff directly at the aristocracy, uh, which, which removes the aristocracy from everything and essentially allows for a uh, petite bourgeois capitalist <laughs> merchant society to come fully formed into right. and, French society. And right. like, I don't, I, again, not a French historian, probably wrong, but I have a very hard time buying the, it was all a master plan argument. Oh, I'd, I'd be fine with buying the, it was all a master plan argument. I don't think the results are good either. No, I don't so, think so either. Like, I don't think the results right. are good, but I also, I refuse to buy into the notion that yeah. a that a a king that a person who exists in the aristocracy fundamentally oh i don't want any of this pomp and circumstance i don't enjoy any of these things i'm doing it for my country you're doing it you i got to say i think it is historically accurate to say that louis was doing all of this particularly to manipulate the aristocracy. That's fine. But like, uh, let's, whatever else is happening beyond that, maybe less directly, but I think he's making active choices. I think the movie is accurate to say that he is making active choices to do these things, to establish Versailles I, as the I, center of I, power. I, I and understand bring everyone into Versailles. Right. And I, and yeah. I've read enough history to understand that that is true. I understand that like, yeah, him choosing to move to Versailles, him the fashion choices and all that stuff. Like I've read the you know the you know the brief history things that mention those sort of power moves and right. stuff. And he's not the first or last like arist you know aristocrat to do that kind of thing. You know you know you get that sort of stuff in right. Italy as well. My issue is is that like I don't know how I'm trying like there the movie paints it as an a s somewhat altruistic act. Right, that right. he as is a benevolent act. Yeah, really? and like I right. don't fucking shovel shit at me. Like, right? Was it a maybe a brilliant move to pull power and hold on to power at the time? Yeah, totally. I buy it. 
But like this movie yeah. does in its heart seem to posit that like Louis the Fourteenth is directly responsible for the modern state of France in like a good way. That like right. like he wanted power, he manipulated the aristocracy to get power and hold on to power. It's not the same thing as like, well, this is my master plan to usher in modern neoliberal you right. know, French right. republics. Right. Right. Like like right. Even if we assume that he's, it's only about like I don't know the movie, by remo- to a certain extent by removing his charisma entirely and all that stuff. What I feel like is it makes it seem like, like I don't know how to explain. It. Like it comes off to me as sort of like ah yes I Louis the Fourteenth the Avatar of history and the will of fates will move France <laughs> further into the you know like I don't know how to explain it like it just. I understand, like it's it's brilliant manipulation, but brilliant right. manipulation purely in the service service of his own interests. Yeah, which the movie doesn't right. seem to of posit, course. partially because the guy's super uncharismatic. So like, right. you kind of right. don't get right. the impression that he has interests. You're kind of like, <laughs> like like this guy. This guy clearly eats his piece of white bread and then goes sit in the closet for five hours, at, you know, fifteen <laughs> right. hours a night, like. Like, okay, like, let me give you an example. One of my favorite things about the movie is his the scenes where he's in bed with his wife, which seem like the most awkward and uncomfortable scenes in the history of mankind, which purposely, yes, he is a, he is a philanderer, so uh, right. also probably very awkward in real life, but they don't come off as awkward because they have a bad relationship. They come off as awkward as in, like, like we don't know how to act this out. Like, we don't know how to, and, like, the net result, it really strikes me as, like, a cartoonish character from a bad modern uh, comedy TV show that, like, literally, right. like, right. it's kind of like fucking Big Bang Sheldon or some shit. Like, and that, that's, yeah. come on, man. I get that, but I also think that that scene is, you know, it's meant to be absurd. I know. I, they, right. There's lots of absurd scenes. I have a lot of... A lot of Rossellini's particular interest in the physicality and material condition of of the historical period is to show absurdity too. Like I, the entire sequence with the doctors. No, I right? know, I know. And, and they show up. They smell his sweat. They look at his poop, and then they bleed him. No, and they I talk know. about well, maybe trying putting like making it feeding him special jewels on him basically right? uh yeah feed him breast and milk like and, and my and actually crystals. my favorite part of that entire sequence <laughs> is when the other cardinal or whatever is in the room with him and the guy comes in with the breast milk and he's like mm, get out of here <laughs> Go like, away. it's yes. like my like so like well, really i'm good. not arguing that Ussolini crafted a bad but i think the movie is extremely well done like yeah we're like to me we're 95 percent of the way there like the absurdity right. of all the pomp I just want the man who is supposed to be like stroke of that. genius, like man- hyper manipulator of the bourgeois of the uh, aristocrats, yeah, to be like not a piece of lightly toasted white bread, right, 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 right. And you know, while I think that his non care <laughs> lack of charisma. Uh, adds to that absurdity. I understand that it also maybe makes it unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I, and, so. and, and it's it makes it very funny. It it gives it a yeah. certain to a certain extent a sort of air of like, what if what if uh, you know, um, you know, what if Mel Brooks 
decided right. to not talk about, not make a Louis the Sixteenth movie where he just stares at breasts all the time, but right. uh, decided to make the, you know something longer right, right, and more right, right. documentary focused. I don't yeah. know. It's, it is very absurd. It's. Um, I feel like I feel like Rossellini's interest here is in the making fun of the aristocracy that is going along with this and is being openly manipulated into this, Uh, which is great. But the fact that is the one person with more power than them doing it means it's still punching down. Right. Right. Uh, And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not making an argument that we shouldn't make fun of the aristocracy, that a King shouldn't make fun of the aristocracy, but the King, you know, deserves to be out of power, not to, not to have his power consolidated. Um, Right, I mean, you end up, you get into this problem, and I think maybe this is part of the goal for Rossellini, is like, you end up spending most of the time kind of being like, yeah, I really hope they cut this guy's head off too. At least that's my, like, when you're watching him, and he's like concerned about his power, again, because there's no acting emotion at all, his concern doesn't come off as a real concern. Uh, But when he is, he is whinging about, like, being able to get, you know, control power and stuff, most of the time, in my mind, I'm like, boy, I I know it didn't happen, but I sure hope a bunch of people just show up and cut your head off. Right, 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 right. I know I'm I mean, way if, early for that, but, like, boy, that would be nice. I think if anything, uh, Louis XIV's contribution to French history is that he fully separates the aristocracy from the petite bourgeois. Right, which does open uh, up the possibility eventually which, of, like, by completely disconnecting which, them from right. society, yeah. basically. It opens up It opens up the French Revolution is what it opens up, because the, the parliament and the petite bourgeois decide to consolidate their own power. Right. Uh, you know, um, and a lot of it, right. a lot of the aristocracy loses their heads, and then the Scarlet Pimpernel shows up and saves some of them, and you know, well, it's all history. And, and what, what, you know, but like the problem we always run into with that kind of thing, and like there's a there's a very fine line, but between understanding the the flow of history and romanticizing the people who are actors in it, but ne- right, right, are nonetheless right. have no insight into what will happen and therefore are doing things only in their personal interest right like louis the 14th does usher in that thing but in a way that has no that doesn't involve by accident by yeah by exasperating other problems right he 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 creates the environment that allows the french resolution to happen yeah it's not the same thing as like ushering in modern france like right, uh, purposely, right, right. you know what I mean? Like it's not the same thing and it's very easy to romanticize it because like you want he- heroes in history. Right. And it's so, e- and again, we're outsiders on this. Like I'm, we're not French. We don't, I don't right. even know any French people. Uh, well, I guess I know a couple, but it's irrelevant. <laughs> My point is I've never had a conversation with any French person about Louis the 14th and how they, and their view of him in history. But like, we're we're all subject to this problem in our own country's personal histories, right? Like, just look at any American founding father. Just pick one. Right, 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 right. Like this asshole isn't doing this because he's, you know, well, we, uh, you know what I mean. He's very, I'm sure he, especially with American founding fathers, I'm sure he believes he is 
ushering in a modern society, but like, you know, we know all how that all goes, but yeah, but they also openly believe that the only reason they're doing it is right. They're very much doing it for their own too. gains. Right. right. Exactly. So, that's, yeah. it's, you know, it, it's just that American history is, is its own special right. animal. Listen, it's, it's the same. It's the same as the French revolution. It is. The it, bourgeois is. it is absolutely cementing the their thing. own, their own power. Right. Right, um, I, I'm just saying that with with regards to Louis the Fourteenth, we do get it, it gets right. harder to form the analogy perfectly, just because of the situation. Right. But right. like the point is, is that like every everybody's country has their the people they've decided to make into heroes when they were almost definitely acting in their own special uh, own uh, personal interest. Right, right, absolutely, one hundred percent. Um, and where. T- where this movie does lose me is also that ending where it seems for a moment that we're meant to feel sorry for. Yeah, no, we absolutely are. It's weird. For the Sun I don't King? Li- I don't like the no. ending. I don't like the ending don't. of this movie. The movie had me most of the way, 98%, yeah. and then the ending is just like, what the fuck is this? Right. Right. Like, end on him a eating a suckling pig that just got locked in a fucking box. <laughs> not, I don't, even, not even eating not even it. Eating because it. When it sh- oh, I recommend when it. it shows up, when it shows up. The doctor says, oh, you shouldn't eat pork. And he just throws it over his shoulder. Yeah. It's, it's so good. I mean, all of that is excellent. Like, just the pure, yeah. like, just getting to watch the absolute absurdist waste. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm in a really weird place with Rousselin on this because, like, so much of this is so, so good. Just making all this opulence just seems so, like, dickheadish. Like, just so yeah. stupid and... And and so absurdly wasteful, like very very much painting a very, to my mind, very hyper accurate picture of what the the true like absurdity of right. opulence, right? Right. Um. I you know you it, could yeah. The the problem is that you know I mean we get it in the title right the taking of power right, right. you know it's not meant to be positive, right. okay. But but at the same time, so much of this movie is, you know, Louis is is ultimately enacting a revenge on all of the people who manipulated him through his childhood. Right. Right. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. And uh, Louis is our central character. He's the one we're seeing through all of this. He's uh, he is actively destroying the aristocracy. But he's actively destroying the aristocracy through a pyramid scheme in which he is the top of the pyramid. Right, and where he uh, is immense more and more power for himself, right? right? Like, it's just, yeah. Right. And it's not like it's not like the aristocracy being distracted in Versailles is actually bettering the material conditions of the poor, who we never see. Right. Like, the well, lowest we, class we only people see, we see we are only still see, merchant class. Right, we see merchant right? class. I, and, the, and the servants. Right, I mean... It, it's hard to know exactly what the class of the people we're seeing, like, because, like, there's craftsmen in that, like, for example, in the quarry, but certainly some of those people right. are not craftsmen, but are just, like, basically just, if not slaves, we do there. We do, of course, have a lot of workers. Right. Yes. There are a lot of laborers of, of dubious position, right? But we're right. Not, we never talk to any of them. They never have any lines. They never express any ideas or opinions of any sort. They are mostly just happily going about their yeah, work. Yeah, they're basically just background. Uh, like they, they might as well be part of the matte yeah. paintings uh, for that. Right, matter. and like the the servants in the palace. I think I think particularly of of uh, 
seemingly Louis's personal uh, female servant who is introduced by <laughs> waking up on his floor yeah. uh, in the bedroom. Uh, quickly hides her bed, which is very silly, before she opens the door. I love that moment. Uh, but then, you know, we, we she trances, uh, tramps through all the rest of when he tells her to go make sure the cardinal, <laughs> tell him when the cardinal's dead. She goes through and we see all of all of these various people in finery dress so that they can be immediately on duty. Right. Yeah, no one ever gets on to just mattresses laid out on the floor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Um yeah. So, you know, I I would actually appreciate maybe some amount of upstairs downstairs well, to and, uh, and, and, to talk more with those people. And so what we get into is a thing that I often feel when I watch historical dramas is I don't actually give a shit about the people in power. Right. Because their their feelings actions while very materially uh, have a very strong material effect on you know the lower classes i don't actually care about their feelings i don't care about why they make the choices right. that hurt people you know right. what i mean like, and and maybe maybe to an extent rossellini is just assuming an audience that is already sympathetic to the lower yeah, classes totally. so yeah know, sure we know what those lower classes are going through because we're living it so we don't need to explore that, and and his. I mean, he's definitely got an eye to, on all levels, the absurdity of power. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, he doesn't know, doctors paint it who as believe, positive in any way, right? Doctors who believe they know what they're doing by bleeding someone to death and talking about uh, <laughs> rubbing crystals on them. Uh, you know, uh, just the whole the whole Taylor scene where. <laughs> It's just, it is utterly absurd, right? And then we know the future, and we've gotten a little hint of the future. Uh, and, you know, maybe that, that sun, sun and death thing, no one can look at the sun, no one can look at death, is this reminder that he's human but he's completely disconnected himself from connection to even the humans that are kind of like him right right and that's and that's there's a very easy way to read that to say that he really is a divine right absolute monarch uh and that's certainly not what Rossellini wants no, us no. to read and maybe we are meant to pity him for being someone stuck in this structure right um and he is pitiable for being someone well, stuck in Well, I mean, structure. yeah, it, it's an interesting... But, but, but like, Rossellini also doesn't really lean onto that. No, I don't think... And I don't, either, think, I don't Ro think Rossellini really wants us to believe that. Like, not deep down. My my issue is not... like Again, I actually I really do like this movie. I just... My issues come down to, like, the, the, the choice of subject matter that, that movies choose. And, like, right. yeah, I mean, it's important to history, and I buy into it, and I agree... Like people do need to know this part of their history, and and, and I I don't know. It's just like, uh, and the movie is supposed to be ex sort of exhausting, right? Like it's just so much absurdity stacked on top of itself that by the time you get done, you're supposed to be like, oh man, like this is just so stupid. Uh, so it all works fine. It's just like you like I, when I think about what stories actively engage me internally. It's not Louis the Fourteenth's story, right? Like, 
I, I and like that's that's a me thing. That's not a like it's not even so much a value judgment on like the this movie. It's more just like okay, right. like cool, yeah. Like I mean, I've gotten now watch a movie about Louis the Fourteenth uh, and his rise to power. Like right, right, like I got to see the absurdity that like was built just to maintain power uh, th- through social manipulation. Um, right. And that's all. It's interesting. But, like, I get to this crossroads in my mind where I'm like, well, I could just read a book about that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I maybe just be in a bad mood because, like, the amount that this absurdity seems to play out in modern society all the time with, with people buying yachts with yachts attached um, – is like, okay, yeah, like I get it, man, because I live it. Like we all live it. Like literally, all of us are living it. Like, and so it, you get into this thing. It's like, tell I in my mind that it's always like this weird thing where it's like, yeah, tell me a story about a person whom like I can form an emotional attachment, <laughs> like a person right, I could right, actually right. like. Uh, and of course, Rossellini doesn't want us Rossellini. to like. Him. I get it. Yeah, oh, sorry. No, but he also facilitates on. You know, the subject matter of his historical stuff is like, you know, it's <laughs> he's got uh, he's got one on the Medici's. He's got one on Socrates. Uh-huh. He's got one on he's got one on the one we've watched on St. Francis. Uh, he's got the Messiah. He's got uh, year one, which is post uh the post-war rebuild, post-fascist rebuild of, uh, of Italy. Um, he's got one on Augustine, one on Blaise Pascal. Uh, it's just, I'm sure that there are a lot of them with stuff we would really connect yeah. with, and a lot of them with stuff we really don't care about. Well, I I imagine <laughs> the Medici one is basically some form of basically this. Uh, yeah, it, it, right. It's just a different, and that's sort of where my mind was going. Was like, you know, this, like, you know, what what happens here is so similar similar to what happens there. It's you know, I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you know, the idea that he was maybe working on one about Marx when he died is uh, really fascinating to me too. Right. Um, I've never seen the Messiah, so I don't know. I don't know how that plays out. Politically, there are some really great. There are some Jesus movies with really great politics, right. uh, and there are some Jesus movies with really absolutely terrible politics because they're trying to be apolitical, uh, and they aren't. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, um, so maybe that's something I I need to check out. But I've like I said, I've never watched it, and I'm generally disinterested in most movies starring white Jesus. But. Uh, <laughs> you know that's its own its own conversation uh so you know but there's an interesting mix of ideas and politics in his choice of who to look at right right um and and you know ultimately within this movie of of how to look at like the the camera work in this movie just some interesting things in like the the steady zoom ins. There's a lot of far shots. You know, we get that uh, we get Louis' perspective shot while D'Artagnan arrests the yeah. aristocrat. Um, 
out the window and we see that totally from from the second story right. window that that Louis is looking out of um but then like the the one scene where he's walking through the gardens of Versailles and all the aristocrats are are bowing to him and there's just like hundreds and hundreds of people there right um uh it's very very interesting and then like the the hunting scenes where where we get like a full three minutes of the dogs crossing the river while those the, the hunting play scenes over are and over ridiculous. Again. Uh, it's just complete absurdity, is all that is. Uh, and I can't read it as anything but comedy. Um, so yeah, I just I don't know. I don't know how to how to feel about his motivations for making this. I think there's enough within it to suggest that. Uh, he doesn't want Louis positioned as a hero, but there's also a lot in it that suggests that maybe Louis is positioned as kind of a yeah, hero. Yeah, that's um, my mixed bag interpretation of it is that like, and that's why I kind of got into at the beginning of like thinking about your audience and like the perception yeah. of your film. If you're going to show, if this is a made for TV movie, um, right? It's it's actually a series of episodes, right? That are That are meant to be right. shown on TV. If you imagine your audience, let's let's assume that like, let's assume a some sort of hyper, intellectualized, uh, like, very well informed French home audience, which is probably not accurate. Um, maybe they're on the off chance the primary pull from this is that this is all absurdity and there's a clear disconnect between what you're saying and what you're showing. Um, yeah, and that like. But that seems like a far shot. Like that seems like a pretty right. wild hope. Most of your audience, I think, is going to come away with some sort of sense of pseudo admiration for the work yeah. done by Louis the Fourteenth in the pro- in the march towards modernity. Like, yeah, the there's an interesting aspect to this too, where the Medici one, I think, is one that Rossellini conceptualized from the start. This is one where he came on late in production. Okay. It was already written. The narrative arc was already established. Uh-huh. Uh, so he had some wiggle room, but he he had he had Cardinal dies, Louis assumes power, Louis consolidates power through manipulation of the aristocracy. And like right. he had to work with that. Yeah. So so there is that too. Yeah. Um and maybe that ties his hands a little bit in an in an interesting way where where the stuff that seems outside, you know the 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 starting scene and the ending scene in its own right. way or well or maybe. right who knows who knows what existed in that first draft right and I and guess. I mean very clearly if you look at the way like with for example with the stage setting and all that and all that opulence like he definitely had control over all that I guess I keep coming back to my argument which is you could also just make the actor who plays the king an asshole, and then there's no hero. <laughs> then your movie doesn't have a hero. You don't even accidentally make a hero. Like, all these people suck. Right. All these people suck, and that's fine, because they all do. Right. <laughs> that's my point, though. By, by, by making him essentially a blank slate on which the audience can yeah. cast their own feelings, you open up the possibility of him being a hero. Whereas if you choose an right. actor... You get a real. You get one of those actors who's like really good at being a real, real piece of shit. Yeah, and then and then what you have is you have your audience constantly flailing between different people who might be their foothold to be the hero, right? Like, 
and then right. they all fail you because they all suck. You they know what I mean? Suck. Like, and that way you're like you walk away going, person. "Yeah, all these people sucked," which is the goal, right? Yeah. It's very clearly the goal. Even even D'Artagnan sucks in this movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. of course, you Me, know, historical like, D'Artagnan probably sucked a lot worse than, than yeah, I mean, fictional D'Artagnan, right? But sure. like, uh, right? But like my point, yeah, I, my point is that he, I, I feel he's like not just a many, cop. He's he's the king's personal cop. So. Yeah, like okay, okay, king cop. Like you know what I mean. My 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 point is just that right. like I feel like in that sense. What we have here is a misstep by Rossellini that produces an effect that even Rossellini doesn't want, which is the ability right. to treat a person in this movie as the hero. Right. I don't right. think he does it on purpose. I don't think, and I don't think it ruins the movie because the movie definitely accomplished its primary goal of saying like, "This is all fucking ridiculous." Yeah, and it's it's hard to gauge. Given the history of France, its political history in particular, uh, and the relationship of each historical era to the one preceding it, right. to any preceding it, it's hard to gauge if a French television production making a historical biopic on Louis the Fourteenth, and then later in production bringing Rossellini on, if it was always presenting Louis the Fourteenth as a hero, and Rossellini did what he can to push against that, right. Or, or if you know, there's a chance that a mid-century, a nineteen, a nineteen sixty-six, at least French thing. But then you know, there's a lot of reactionary politics in sixty-six France because sixty-eight's the sixty-eight's the big, the big one, the right. big riot. Um, so we're building up to that, and we can look at, we can look at what what else is being made in France in sixty-six, and. And see that you know everybody's politics are solidifying, but not solid yet. Right. Really. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, even the big stuff, you know, like uh, like masculine feminine. I think is sixty seven. You know, it's or or sixty eight itself. You know, everything is everything is more right before or in the aftermath of right right of the uh, of the mass strike. Um. So, so I mean, there's probably a good chance that Rossellini inherited or was hired on to do what was a straight Louis the Fourteenth is an absolute hero. Yeah, I story. mean, it's definitely possible, right? Because, well, see, that's yeah. the thing, right? Is that uh, a thing that you get in a thing that you get in in modern neoliberal, uh, not even neoliberal, but like pro-capitalist, like liberal democratic politics is that sort of rehabilitation of Mm -hmm. people who by any standards of measurement were monsters who shouldn't who should not have been in power right it's a constant and they do it for historical figures they do it for more recent figures but like there's this thing where like it's very easy for the bourgeoisie to uh kind of co-opt for especially past aristocrats or past other past like sort of criminal bourgeoisie to like identify them as like there's very clearly like it's what I'm trying to boy this is getting this sentence is getting out of hand my point I'm trying to make is it's very easy for modern liberal capitalist uh, societies to say 
these aristocrats, we want to find one of these, and we're gonna we see ourselves in that. We need to heroicize right. that to legitimate legitimize our power, right? Like right. we're just that. We're just doing that for you. Like we have to be these assholes because we're just trying to save you from the other assholes who are much worse than us. Kind of right, right. Like it's so easy to build that narrative with. Like for like long dead aristocrats, right? And and in a in a society that has a longing for history, even as it has been politically volatile, you know, we get the same thing with like Ivan the Terrible and you know the Eisenstein films that try to establish a uh, historical lineage through uh, the hero. Uh, aristocracy to Sovietism, right. right? You know, and and you know, it's it wouldn't surprise me, given French history, you know, if if this was meant as a uh, you know pro de Gaulle in its in its conception, not in its Rossellini necessarily, but in its conception of a pro pro status quo appeal to history yeah you know? and we see a lot of we see a lot of that stuff in the you know in the I think the olivier shakespeare stuff that comes out in during world war ii you know? it's it's all it's all this consolidation of culture into one flat identity one homogenous identity right uh of nationalism right right and you know and and i think there's a very good chance that the reason it feels like Rossellini can't commit is because he is working from material that is written from the exact polar opposite right. of the of the thing he wants to say. And he is right. doing the best he can without getting fired. Right. And or, that or or worse, right. Yeah. Or or worse. And and maybe maybe in this particular instance, Rossellini should have just gotten fired. Right, uh, right, but. maybe like, and and you know, you get into, but then like you know, you get this when you say that when like you get those statements like film is dead and stuff, you get into this sort of there's also this sort of arrogance to it of like, yeah, I can I mean, do this, uh, like even though I, I shouldn't, I can do this. Right, the understanding of film is dead is that uh, I think it was I think you know like like a lot of the new wave guys who were inspired by this movie. The, the French New Wave guys who were very clearly inspired by this movie. Uh, Truffaut, Goddard. Um, in style, in sense. Um, I think... Uh, I think there's this part of what Rossellini's saying there is that film is dead, so let's create something new. And he moves into television to have a more free... Right, I, and I and I get that as a primary hand. statement, um, but like, yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Right. I, there's there's obviously a different motivation there, but like, there's also yeah, I don't I don't think he's being arrogant in saying it, um, but maybe he is. I don't know. I, maybe I I'm being too fair to Rosalini at this I, point, but I mean, I I read nearly. Well, I have developed a very specific perception of nearly all French directors, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, maybe it's not. Well, he's Italian. So oh, sorry, he's safe. sorry, Italian. Uh, but like, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Like, okay, <laughs> uh, sorry. 
Uh, but like, what's more? France actually, and Italy are to, different countries, Pat. I need you to acknowledge I, that I right now. Refuse. No, I'm, just, I'm saying more in line with like it's actually less. I, I said French, but what I really meant was new wave, neorealist, like this. This right, right, like, right, 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 and, right. And some of it's just poisoning of the water by specifically ex- exceptionally bad actors. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean. But like, yeah. My my point with that is is that like, if you tie that kind of idea to it yeah maybe you know we can build something new and then you take a job like because we don't know we're building a whole sort of house of cards but like if he is taking a job and then in his mind he says to himself well i can fix this i can still make the statement i want even given the shackles that i'm sort of tied down with right there's a certain arrogance to like no you just should have just not but you know you also have to like feed and clothe yourself so i mean like you can't hate on a person too much um right and i think i think there is there is something you know whether or not he took this just because he needed the money or whatever <laughs> like you just suggested well i mean but i i is, assume that everybody always needs the money you know what i mean like that's a, a starting yeah. point for me that like right no no matter when you get down to the very core motivations of the people who are doing things Right. No matter right, how right, much is right. an artistic endeavor, eat. you also just have to eat. And so that's always a thing right. that exists in the back of your mind that like we always have to take right, in consideration right, right. people's motivations. Yeah. I mean, he may have really yeah. wanted this job, but he also still has to go home and eat. Uh right. But I think I think there is something to be said that that you know, there is uh there's a certain artistic integrity, I think, to trying to redeem something that feels yeah. irredeemable. And if this started life as what we think it might have started life, and we really don't know because there's literally we, the even Wikipedia on the French Wikipedia, there is no it. pre-production stuff. There's nothing. Like there's, there's nothing. No, we have no there's background nothing. information. I went on. I went on every language Wikipedia I could find. I read, uh, you know, the Criterion essay on the film, uh, which doesn't talk about production, which is abnormal for a, for a Criterion right. essay. I, you know, uh, I watched some other video essays on it, and it's just. You know, for for such a well respected movie right. that is considered to be Rossellini's masterpiece, there's just a... I I have a theory about that though. Okay, <laughs> my guess is that that okay. m- information doesn't exist, and I think that supports our theory because what kind of situation would there just be essentially no documentation of the production process? That would be sort of state propaganda. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're produced right. the the an instance where you would not produce any making sort of of like any sort of background info on a thing by a by a director who is notable. Right, right. And it's it's weird because that stuff probably does exist, but the fact that it's not we're not encountering it where we would expect to encounter it is still abnormal. Right. right. I mean, yeah, it um, may exist. But period. also think about like there you get into this this weird sort of paradigm. If you think about what TV is and what TV represents and it's sort of much even more sort of nebulous, uh, sort of ethereal nature where like it, it's not really think about where they find fucking Doctor Who episodes in weird closets right. in like in like <laughs> right, right, countries right, you right. would never expect. Like if you think about what the nature of TV is and then its relationship with propaganda it's easy to imagine this as primarily meant as propaganda originally. And that like you, 
like legitimately though, TV almost always has less sort of production notes laying around in in almost every way, right? Like there's less do- there tends to be less documentation. There tends to be the the sets and stuff tend to almost immediately get disposed of almost as soon as it's done. There's there's always less like ephemera attached with yeah to it in the aftermath. That's why like TV props are always so weirdly hard to get and stuff because like like dude literally finished filming and was like all right well here's the garbage can Dave throw it in there uh, right right and right. if we're not using it next week it goes in the garbage can um, and and so it's easy to believe that if you're producing something that could effectively be understood at the time when you're at least in its conception as propaganda and it's for TV like it's really possible honestly that almost nobody like was writing anything down. Right, right, right. That nobody was on set Certainly. taking pictures. Because, again, taking set photos is not a thing that is done, especially in old school TV, as compared to like right. well, newer TV and also film. Uh, it's not right. exactly right. relevant, but what I mean is it's quite po- – in my mind, it's quite possible that literally just nothing exists, basically, of this right. film. In the, uh, in the Criterion essay, there is a little bit of, uh, of production stuff that suggests that uh, – some of the French production staff was maybe antagonistic to Rossellini's style because Rossellini's really, he's doing single camera. He's doing on location, tight spaces. He's not getting coverage. He's not, you know, he knows what he wants. Right. And he knows what, what, what camera and what lens he's going to use. And, uh, and he's doing it. Um, so I don't know. Uh, there is that aspect too. (laughs) Um, there is a little bit of background material, but that doesn't seem to be a lot. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting movie. It really it, is. It, it is uh, absolutely. Yeah, I gotta. I and I liked it. I liked watching it. I thought it was really interesting to watch these just just this absolute insanity take you know just this ridiculous over like emphasis on resource consumption and everything like that. That was all very interesting. Right. Right, right, right. And, yeah, as I said, I really feel like Rossellini, at least, is very interested in presenting that. Yeah, I agree. Excess yeah. aspect of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, there's uh, no reason you, like, there's, of course, I mean, like, when you look at how much he just emphasizes that in every scene. Right, It right. becomes pretty clear, right? Yeah. So I think we can draw this one to a close. We've been talking about The Taking of Power by Louis XIV. Uh, 1966 made for TV, made for French TV film uh, by Italian director Roberto Rossellini. Uh, interesting little piece. Uh, next week, we switch gears a little bit. We will be talking about uh, a Douglas Sirk film. We haven't talked about a Douglas Sirk film for a while, uh, but his uh, American melodrama, uh, Magnificent Obsession uh, from 1954, uh, directed by Douglas Sirk and, uh, yeah, starring Rock Hudson. Uh so that should be interesting. You know, we haven't seen something like this for uh, for a good many right. years. Uh, but uh, but Rock Hudson and Douglas Sirk stuff uh, was certainly certainly something that impressed upon me when we watched yeah. it previously. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. So looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Class. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time.
This has been Lost in Criteria. I'm your co-host, Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamGlass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.